24-7. Ruckus Avenue, exclusively on Dash Radio. Aesthetic Soundwaves is in association with Ruckus Avenue Radio. Go check them out at www.ruckusavenueradio.com. That's Ruckus, spelled R-U-K-U-S. And, like always, proudly supported by Dilla's Delights in downtown Detroit, 242 John R Street. Make sure to go check them out. Now, back to our regularly scheduled program. Sorry, I didn't know I was that horrible and scary looking. Sorry, sorry. I'll uh, just step away, step away. Okay, calm down, calm down. I'm, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Aesthetic Soundwaves AS. I am your not-so-good-looking uh, host, <laughs> Glass, according to that lady at least. <laughs> Thank you for the tune-ins, everyone, everywhere. Much appreciated. Thank you, everyone. Every tune-in means so much to me. One means everything. So, that being said, folks, today I am giving you guys a Halloween special. The first uh, one I have ever done. Never done any beforehand, just because it never occurred to me to do it. Not a big Halloween person to be honest with you don't really celebrate too many holidays actually at all so but yeah so let's get into the shout out portions a lot of a lot of tune-ins and a lot of people i need to thank so let me look at my handy dandy list here 
Okay, first, foremost, obviously, shout out to Ruckus Avenue Radio and, of course, Dash Radio for the sponsorship and uh, just, you know, all the support I am given from that end. Thank you so much. Much appreciated. Same, obviously, goes for the one and only Dilla's Delights in Detroit. Folks, go check out their website for the updates, so forth, so on. So, uh, but much, much respect and love, of course, the whole Dilla's Delights crew, fam, etc., so forth and so on. You know what's up. Thank you. It means a lot. You know that. Country-wise, Vietnam, Turkey, Peru, Kenya, Germany, Colombia, Bangladesh, Philippines, Indonesia, Spain, here in the United States, Washington, Nevada, Nebraska, Alabama, Massachusetts, California, and, of course, the state with the most, the most listens. So you guys can ring your bells right now. Ding, 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 ding. Yay! Like always, though, state of Mich, Michigan, thank you. Much respect and love. And, of course, so much I have to credit I have to give to the city of Detroit, the one and only. What up, doe? Thank you. You know, it means a lot. I say that a lot today, but it really, you know, I have to, it enhances everything to the, <laughs> the 32nd power, you know? So thank you. Thank you so much. Folks, I, uh, I, I actually, so <laughs> I wanted to do this, this show last year, I think. I just didn't get to it for various reasons. So I'm going to just get straight into this cut in today. I am going to be playing you some excerpts out of the war, uh, off the original radio drama, War of the Worlds. Obviously, Orson Welles was doing the narration and starring in a lot of it. So, I'm going to give you more history about that in a minute, but the person, the narrator on this record gets into it better, so that's why I'm just going to get right into this. The original title of the radio drama was an adaptation from the H.G. Wells novel, War of the Worlds. But when they put it on air, they scripted it out to be the invasion from Mars. It was adapted by Howard Koch, uh, whom is actually on the record speaking. It aired October 30th, 1938, on Halloween Eve. And so the record this is coming off of was... Is, was, is called, excuse me, I'm reading some low light here, Trick or Treat, that's the title of the record. One side has old radio dramas, the other side, the treat side has a whole bunch of songs and things like that that were sung on special Halloween nights, things like that, from various singers. Fleetwood Recording Company was the producer of this record. So you know what, folks? Rather than babble your ear off, I am just going to get straight into this. Enjoy, and you know how Glass does it. I'm going to come back with some little highlights with this. But enjoy, and uh, happy Halloween, early happy Halloween to some when they hear this from, from Glass and from AS. So, I'll be back with you in a minute. 
The 30th of October, 1938, will be remembered as that extraordinary night when the submerged anxieties of hundreds of thousands of Americans surfaced and coalesced in a flood of terror that swept the country. Between 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time and dawn of the next day, men, women, and children in scores of towns and cities across the nation were in flight from objects that had no existence except in their imaginations. I was an astonished contributor to this bizarre event. At that time, I was a young playwright doing my first professional job, which was writing the radio plays for the Mercury Theater's Sunday evening programs that were built around the name and talents of Orson Welles. I was given the assignment of dramatizing H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds in news bulletin form. As it turned out, I used only the author's idea of a Martian invasion and his description of their appearance in their machines. The aftermath of the Halloween prank, as Orson later called it in a masterly understatement, was something I would not have imagined in my wildest dream or nightmare. Now, over 30 years later, it's still difficult to understand how so many thousands could have taken the broadcast literally. Granted, audiences were much more dependent on radio in those days for their sources of information, and the Wells voice was not so easily recognized at that time. So Orson was able to play a multiple role in the broadcast without losing credibility. Today, we have become somewhat immune to surprise. This, then, is an excerpt of the program that panicked the nation on Halloween Eve in 1938. Ladies and gentlemen, from the Meridian Room in the Park Plaza Hotel in New York City, we bring you the music of Raymond Raquello and his orchestra. With a touch of the Spanish, Raymond Raquello leads off with La Compensita. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. At 20 minutes before 8 central time, Professor Farrell of the Mount Jennings Observatory, Chicago, Illinois, reports observing several explosions of incandescent gas occurring at regular intervals on the planet Mars. The spectroscope indicates the gas to be hydrogen and moving toward the Earth with enormous velocity. Professor Pearson of the observatory at Princeton confirms Farrell's observation and describes the phenomenon as, quote, like a jet of blue flame shot from a gun, unquote. We now return you to the music of Ramon Raquello playing for you in the Meridian Room of the Park Plaza Hotel situated in downtown New York. Ladies and gentlemen, following on the news given in our bulletin a moment ago, the Government Meteorological Bureau has requested the large observatories of the country to keep an astronomical watch on any further disturbances occurring on the planet Mars. 
Due to the unusual nature of this occurrence, we have arranged an interview with a noted astronomer, Professor Pearson, who will give us his views on this event. We take you now to Princeton, New Jersey. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Carl Phillips speaking to you from the observatory at Princeton. I shall read you a wire addressed to Professor Pearson from Dr. Gray of the Natural History Museum, New York. Quote, 9.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Seismograph registered shock of almost earthquake intensity occurring within a radius of 20 miles of Princeton. Please investigate. Signed, Lloyd Gray, Chief of Astronomical Division. Unquote. Professor Pearson, could this occurrence possibly have something to do with the disturbances observed on the planet Mars? Oh, hardly, Mr. Phillips. This is probably a meteorite of unusual size, and its arrival at this particular time is merely a coincidence. However, we shall conduct a search as soon as daylight permits. Thank you, Professor. Ladies and gentlemen, for the past 10 minutes, we've been speaking to you from the observatory at Princeton, bringing you a special interview with Professor Pearson, noted astronomer. This is Carl Phillips speaking. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the latest bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News, Toronto, Canada. Professor Morse of Macmillan University reports observing a total of three explosions on the planet Mars between the hours of 7.45 p.m. and 9.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This confirms earlier reports received from American observatories. Now nearer home comes a special bulletin from Trenton, New Jersey. It is reported that at 8.50 p.m. a huge flaming object believed to be a meteorite, fell on a farm in the neighborhood of Grover's Mill, New Jersey, 22 miles from Trenton. The flash in the sky was visible within a radius of several hundred miles, and the noise of the impact was heard as far north as Elizabeth. This is Carl Phillips again, out at the Wilmoth Farm, Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Professor Pearson and myself made the 11 miles from Princeton in 10 minutes. Well, I hardly know where to begin. The ground is covered with splinters of a tree. It must have struck on its way down. But I can see of the object itself doesn't look very much like a meteor. At least not the meteors I've seen. It looks more like a huge cylinder. Has a diameter of, um, um, what would you say, Professor Pearson? What's that? Uh, what would you say, uh, what's the diameter of this? About 30 yards. About 30 yards. The metal on the sheath is, well, I've never seen anything like it. The color is sort of yellowish white. It's curious. Spectators now are pressing close to the object in spite of the efforts of the police to keep them back. Uh, getting in front of my line of vision. Uh, uh, would you mind standing one side, please? While the police are pushing the crowd back. See, do you still think it's a meteor, Professor? I don't know what to think. The uh, metal casing is definitely extraterrestrial. Uh, not found on this Earth. Friction with the Earth's atmosphere usually tears holes in a meteorite. This thing is smooth and you can see it's cylindrical uh, shape. Something's happening. Ladies and gentlemen, this is terrific. This end of the thing is beginning to flake off. The top is beginning to rotate like a screw, and the thing must be hollow. He's moving! Keep those men back! Keep those idiots back! Come on, get back! Take off! The top's loose! Ladies and gentlemen, this is the most terrifying thing I've ever witnessed. Wait a minute. Someone or something, I can see. Turning out of that black hole, two luminous discs. Now, the eyes, it might be a face, might be almost oh, a... heavens, something wriggling out of the shadow like a gray snake. Now it's another one, and another one, and another one. They look like tentacles to me. That... Oh, yeah, I can see the thing's body. Now it's large, it's large as a bear. It glistens like wet leather, but that face, it, it... ladies and gentlemen, it's indescribable, but I can hardly force myself to keep looking at it. It's so awful. The eyes are black, and they gleam like a serpent. The mouth is... That's kind of V-shaped with saliva dripping from its rimless lips. It seemed to 
Oh, those quiver and pulsate and the monster or whatever it is can hardly move. It seems weighed down by uh, possibly gravity or something. The things back that seem plenty, the most extraordinary experience for gentlemen, I can't find words. And, well, I'll pull this microphone with me as I talk. More state police have arrived. They're drawing up a cordon in front of the pit. About 30 of them. No need to push the crowd back now. They're willing to keep their distance. The captain conferring with someone. Yes, I believe it's Professor Pearson. Yes, it is. Now, now they've parted, and the professor moves around one side, studying the object while the captain and two policemen advance with something in their hands. I can see it now. It's a white handkerchief, flag of truce. If those creatures know what that means, what anything means. Wait a minute, something's happening. Humped shape is rising out of the pit. I can make out a small beam of light against a mirror. What's that? There's a jet of flame springing from that mirror and it leaps right at the advancing men. It strikes them head on. Oh, Lord, they're turning into flames. Now the whole field's caught up by the woods, the bars, the, the gas tanks, tanks of the automobiles are spreading everywhere. Coming this way now, about 20 yards to my right. Ladies and gentlemen, due to circumstances beyond our control, we are unable to continue the broadcast from Grover's Mill. Evidently, there's some difficulty with our field transmission. However, we will return to that point at the earliest opportunity. I've just been handed a message that came in from Grover's Mill by telephone. Just one moment, please. At least 40 people, including six state troopers, lie dead in a field east of the village of Grover's Mill. Their bodies burned and distorted beyond all possible recognition. Further details of the catastrophe at Grover's Mill are coming in. The strange creatures, after unleashing their deadly assault, crawled back in their pit and made no attempt to prevent the efforts of the firemen to recover the bodies and extinguish the fire. The combined fire departments of Mercer County are fighting the flames which menace the entire countryside. Ladies and gentlemen, here is a bulletin from Trenton. It is a brief statement informing us that the charred body of Carl Phillips has been identified in a Trenton hospital. We take you now to the field headquarters of the state militia. This is Captain Lansing of the Signal Corps attached to the state militia, now engaged in military operations in the vicinity of Grosvenor arising from the reported presence of certain individuals of unidentified nature is now under complete control. The cylindrical object which lies in a pit directly below our position, surrounded on all sides by eight battalions of infantry without heavy field pieces, but adequately armed with rifles and machine guns. All cause for alarm, if such cause ever existed, is now entirely unjustified. Now, wait a minute, I, I see something on top of the cylinder. No, no, it's nothing but a shadow. Now the troops are on the edge of the Wilmot Farm. 7,000 armed men closing in on an old metal tube. A tub, rather. Well, wait, that wasn't a shadow, it's something moving. Solid metal, kind of a shield-like affair rising up out of the cylinder. Going higher and higher. It's, it's standing on legs, actually rearing up on a sort of reaching above the trees and the searchlights are on it. Hold on. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who led are the vanguard of an invading army from the planet Mars. The battle which took place tonight at Grover Mills has suffered by an army in modern times. With rifles and machine guns, the invaders from Mars. 120 known survivors. The rest strewn over the battle area from Grover's Mill to Plainsboro, crushed and trampled to death under the metal feet of the monster. 
or burned to cinders by its heat ray. The monster is now in control of the monthly cut the state through its center, Pennsylvania to the Atlantic Ocean. Railroad tracks are torn and service from New York to Philadelphia discontinued the trains through Allerton and Phoenixville. Highways to the north, south, and west are clogged with frantic human traffic. Police and army reserves are unable to control the mad flight. Martial law prevails throughout. Bulletins too numerous to... We're informed that the central radio communication due to the effect of the heat ray upon power lines and electrical bullet in New York. Cables have been received from English, French, and German scientific bodies offering assistance. Astronomers report continued gas outbursts at regular intervals on the planet Mars. The majority voiced the opinion that the enemy will be reinforced by additional rocket machines. There have been several attempts made to locate Professor Pearson of Princeton. It is feared he was lost in the recent battle. Another bulletin from Langham Field, Virginia. Scouting planes report enemy machines now three in number, increasing speed northward, kicking over houses and trees in their evident haste to form a conjunction with their allies south of Marstown. Machines also sighted within 10 miles of Plainfield. Still Long Island. A fleet of army bombs in pursuit of enemy. Scouting planes act as guides. They keep the speeding enemy in sight. Plane B-843, commanding eight bombers, reporting to Commander Fairfax Langham Field. This is Bolt reporting to Commander Fairfax, eight tripod machines now in sight. Reinforced by three machines from the Morristown Cylinder, six altogether. One machine partially crippled. Believed hit by shell from Army gun in Wachung Mountains. Guns now appear silent. A heavy black fog hanging close, nature unknown. Planes circling, ready to strike. Thousand yards and we'll be over the first. Green flash. They're spraying us with flame. Two thousand feet. Engines are giving out. No chance to release bombs. Only one thing left. Drop on them, plane and all. We're diving on the first one. Now the engine's gone. Eight army bombers in engagement with enemy tripod machines over Jersey Flats. Engines incapacitated by heat ray, all crashed. One enemy machine destroyed. Enemy now discharging heavy black smoke in direction of... This is New York, New Jersey. Warning, poisonous black smoke pouring in from Jersey marshes. Reaches South Street. Gas masks useless. Urge population to move into open spaces. Automobiles use Route 7, 24. To X to L, calling CQ. To X to L, calling CQ. To X to L, calling 8X3R. Come in, please. This is 8X3R coming back at 2X2L. Eyes reception. Eyes reception. K, please. I'm speaking from the roof of broadcasting building. I'm speaking from the roof of broadcasting building, New York City. The bells you hear are ringing to warn the people to evacuate the city as. Martians approach. Estimated in the last two hours, three million people have moved out along the roads to the north. Hutchison River Parkway is still kept open for motor traffic. Avoid bridges to Long Island, hopelessly jammed. Wait a minute, the, the enemy is now in sight above the Palisades. Five, five great machines. First one is crossing the river. I can see it from here, waiting. 
wading the Hudson like a man wading through a brook. A bulletin is handed me. Martian cylinders are falling all over the country. One outside of Buffalo, one in Chicago, St. Louis. Seem to be time and space. Now the first machine reaches the shore. He stands watching, looking over the city. Steel cowlish head is even with his skyscrapers. He waits for the others. They rise like a line of new towers on the city's west side. Now they're lifting their metal hands. This is the end now. Smoke comes out, black smoke drifting over the city. People in the streets see it now. They're running toward the East River, thousands of them, dropping in like rats. Now the smoke's spreading faster. It's reached Times Square. People are trying to run away from it, but it's no use. They, they're falling like flies. Now the smoke's crossing 6th Avenue. 5th Avenue. A uh, hundred yards away. It's, it's 50 feet. subsided and in time the public conceded that we were not the mischief makers it first thought us to be. Nevertheless, all our lives were irrevocably changed. Orson, an instant world celebrity, transported the Mercury players to Hollywood and made the classic Citizen Kane. Pretty cool, pretty cool, huh? Well, um, you know... It's, it's really interesting. I mean, I don't have a TV, right? I don't watch much TV actually whatsoever, but it seems to me like that just has more appeal than what most shows do nowadays. I know. Hey, to each his own. <laughs> so, what's uh, interesting about this record here is that they, on the for the sleeve portion of the record, they actually put... A New York Times article from the from October 31st of 1938 on on as a sleeve, which covers the whole entire article. So pretty cool because it gives you the detailed info of what happened the night before. So I am going to read off this, and I guess I'll get into some of my little thoughts in a minute about that. 
But let's see, so I don't get in trouble here. This is coming out of the New York Times, obviously courtesy of them. And it was, uh, this was written on Monday, October 31st, 1938. I want to say I have an author on this. I do not. Look him. No. No author. Does not state it. So, folks, you can look it up. I'm sure it has it on the internet. It looks like a good, uh, two-pager good hogged up a lot of info for the paper that day i can imagine so title of this article is radio listeners in panic taking a war drama as fact open quote oh hold on before i go any further i'm going to be breaking some of this up into sections too so i'm just reading certain things i'm not reading the full article don't worry i'm not going crazy today so but now back to it. Open quote once again, right? <laughs> a wave of mass hysteria seized thousands of radio listeners throughout the nation between 8.15 and 9.30 o'clock p.m. last night when a broadcast of dramatization of H.G. Wells' fantasy, The War of the Worlds, led thousands to believe that an interplanetary conflict had started with invading Martians spreading wide death and destruction in New Jersey and New York. The broadcast, which disrupted households, interrupted religious services, created traffic jams, and clogged communication systems, was made by Orson Welles, who as the radio character, The Shadow, used to give the creeps to countless child listeners. This time, at least a score of adults required medical treatment for shock and hysteria. In Newark, in a single block at Heaton... Terrace and Hawthorne Avenue, more than 20 families rushed out of their houses with wet handkerchiefs and towels over their leaved was to be a gas raid. Some began moving household furniture. Throughout New York, families left their homes, some to flee to nearby parks. Thousands of persons called the police, newspapers, and radio stations here and in other cities of the United States and Canada seeking advice of, on protective measurements against the raids. The program was produced by Mr. Wells and the Mercury Theater on the air over station WABC on the Columbia Broadcasting System's coast-to-coast network from 8 to 9 o'clock. The switchboard of the New York Times was overwhelmed by the calls. A total of 875 were received. One man who called from Dane, Ohio, asked what time will it be when the world ends. A caller from the suburbs said he had a house full of guests and all had rushed out of the yard for safety. Warren Dean, a member of the American Legion living in Manhattan, who telephoned to verify the reports, expressed indignation, which was typical of that of many callers. I've heard a lot of radio programs, but I've never heard anything as rotten as that, Mr. Dean said. It was too realistic for comfort. They broke into a dance program with a newsflash. Everybody in my house was agitated by the radio news. At 9 o'clock, a woman walked into the West 47th Street police station, dragging two children, all carrying extra clothing. She said she was ready to leave the city. Police persuaded her to stay. A garbled version of the reports reached to the Dixie bus terminal, causing officials there to prepare to change their schedule on confirmation of the news of an accident at Princeton on their New Jersey route. Miss Dorothy Brown at the terminal sought verification. However, when the caller refused to talk with the dispatcher ex- explaining her to her 
that the world is coming to an end and I have a lot to do. <laughs> this is this is some stuff. <clears throat> the title of this subsection of this article is called They're Bombing New Jersey. They're Bombing New Jersey. Patrolman John Morrison was on duty at, at the switchboard in the Bronx Police Headquarters when, as, as he afterward expressed it, all the lines became busy at once. Among the first who answered was a man who informed him, They're Bombing New Jersey. How do you know? Patrolman Morrison inquired. I heard it on the radio. The, vo and the voice on the other end of the wire replied. Then I went to the roof and I could see the smoke from the bombs drifting over toward New York. What shall I do? Close quote. There's way more to this article. But here's kind of my point. It's really crazy. So, in short... This uh, this caused obviously, as we know from you know from history class or people who have done enough research on these things, caused quite the uh, amount of chaos, a lot of chaos. So really, however one may feel, if it sounds too cheesy or not, even though pretty well acted out, if you ask me, it's interesting to compare to today, especially with what's going. Excuse me, the stuttering's coming out today with what is going on in, you know, this whole scenario, right? But let's, I mean, let's kind of put our, our thinking caps on, or just our thoughtful caps, whatever you want to say, right? I think many ways we're more immune to shocking things, you know, over the years and over the years. We're just numb to stuff, I guess, like Howard Koch says. So... In essence, what I'm saying is, what, though, this is an interesting question, what if there was something like this to go on now, a days, on 2020, right? Real interesting thought, real interesting. And, uh, you know, not trying to make a statement or, you know, I, I already did enough of that last episode. I'm trying to keep this episode light and uh, fluffy, I guess you could say, but just kind of interesting perspective. To, to think about what would happen now if any of that was done nowadays and the reaction and everything else, right? Food for thought. Just feel like tossing that out to you guys out there. So let's get back into this. I'm actually going to be using another radio drama starring Orson Welles also. This one is another excerpt from this. It's called The Hitchhiker. It comes off the same record. In fact, everything I'm playing today is coming off the same record. It's one of those unique hodgepodge records that just has so much on it. I might as well just put one show with it, with all the little things, doodads and uh, little toys on it, right? <laughs> so let's get into the next part. The Hitchhiker, starring Orson Welles. I'll be back with you in a second. He returned often to radio to give other memorable performances. One such performance was for Suspense in a Lucille Fletcher play titled The Hitchhiker. Here is a condensation of that broadcast. Six days ago, I left Brooklyn to drive to California. Goodbye, son. 
Good luck to you, my boy. Goodbye, Mother. Here, give me a kiss, and I'll go. Ronald, I wish you weren't driving. Oh, Mother, there you go again. People do it every day. I know, but you'll be careful, won't you? Promise me you'll be extra careful. Don't fall asleep or drive fast or pick up any strangers on the road. Oh, gosh. I think I was still 17 here, you talk. Oh, and wire me as soon as you get to Hollywood. Won't you, son? Of course I will. Don't you worry. There's nothing going to happen. It's just eight days of perfectly simple driving on smooth, decent, civilized roads with a hot dog or a hamburger stand every ten miles. spirits. The drive ahead of me, even the loneliness seemed like a lark. I reckoned without him. Crossing Brooklyn Bridge that morning in the rain, I saw a man leaning against the cables. He seemed to be waiting for a lift. There were spots of fresh rain on his shoulders. He was carrying a cheap overnight bag in one hand. He was thin, nondescript, with a cap pulled down over his eyes. I would have to just an hour later, away over the Jersey Flats. I saw him again. At least, he looked like the same person. He was standing now with one thumb pointing west. I couldn't figure out how he got there, but I thought probably one of those fast trucks had picked him up, beaten me to the skyway and let him off. I didn't stop for him. And late that night, I saw him again. It's on the new Pennsylvania Turnpike between Harrisburg and Pittsburgh. It's 265 miles long with a very high speed limit. I was just slowing down for one of the tunnels when I saw him, standing under an arc light by the side of the road. I'd seen quite distinctly the bag, the cap, even the spots of fresh rain. He hallooed at me this time. Stepped on the gas like a shot. That's lonely country for the Alleghenies. Yes, sir. Uh, fill her up. Certainly, sir. Check your oil, sir? No, thanks. Hasn't been raining here recently, has it? Not a drop of rain all week. Oh? Oh, I, I suppose that doesn't done your business any harm. Oh, people drive through here all kinds of weather. Mostly business, you know. There aren't many pleasure cars out on the turnpike this season of the year. I suppose not. What, uh, uh, what about hitchhikers? <laughs> What's the matter? Don't you ever see any? Not much. If we did, it'd be a sight for sore eyes. Why? Oh, a guy'd be a fool who started out to hitch rides on this road. Look at it. Then, you've never seen anybody? No. Maybe they get the lift before the turnpike starts. I mean, you know, just before the toll house. But then it'd be a mighty long ride. Most cars wouldn't want to pick up a guy for that long a ride. And you know, this is pretty lonesome country here. Mountains and woods. You ain't seen anybody like that, have you? Uh, no. Oh, no, not, not at all. I was just uh, a technical question. 
I see. Well, that'll be just a dollar forty-nine with the tax. I didn't see him again. I didn't see him until late next afternoon. I stopped a car at a sleepy little junction just across the border into Oklahoma. When he appeared across the tracks, leaning against a telephone pole. Perfectly airless, dry day. The red clay of Oklahoma was baking under the southwestern sun. Yet there were spots of fresh rain on his shoulders. I couldn't stand that. Without thinking, blindly, I started the car across the tracks. He didn't look up at me. He was staring at the ground. I stepped on the gas hard, bearing the wheel sharply toward him. I could hear the train in the distance now, but I didn't care then. Along the car. The train was coming closer. I could hear its bell ringing and the cry of its whistle. Still, he stood there. And now I knew that he was beckoning, beckoning me to my death. worked at last. I managed to back up. When the train passed, he was gone. I was all alone in the hot, dry afternoon. After that, I knew I had to do something. I didn't know who this man was or what he wanted of me. I only knew that from now on, I mustn't let myself alone on the road for one minute. Like a ride? Well, what do you think? How far are you going? Oh, uh, where do you want to go? Amarillo, Texas. I'll drive you there. Gee. Uh, you mind if I take off my shoes? My dogs are killing me. Go right ahead. Oh, gee, what a break this Can you hitchhike much? Sure. Hold what about you? Look out. Did you see him? Who? man standing beside the barbed wire fence. Oh, I didn't see anybody. I, it wasn't nothing but a bunch of cows and, and the wire fence. No? What do you think he was doing? Trying to run into the barbed There's wire fence? a man fence? there, I tell you. A thin gray man with an overnight bag in his hand. And I, I was trying to run him down. Run him down? You mean kill him? You say you didn't see him back there? You sure? I didn't see a soul. As far as Watch that's for him the next time and keep watching. Keep your eyes peeled on the road. He'll turn up again. Maybe any minute. There! Look there! How does this door work? I, I'm getting out Did of here. Did you see him that time? No, I didn't see him that time. And personally, mister, I don't expect never to see him. All I want to do is go on living. I don't see how I will very long, driving with you. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't... I... I don't know what came over me, but please don't go. So if you'll excuse me... You can't go. Listen, how would you like to go to California? I'll drive you to California. Seeing pink elephants all the way? No, thanks. Uh Uh-uh, thanks just the same. Listen, please, just 
Just one minute, please. You know what I think you need, big boy? Not a girlfriend. Just a good dose of sleep. Please. There. I got it now. No, you can't go. Please. Come Get your back. hands off me. Do you hear me? Your hands off me. She ran from me. As though I were a monster. A few minutes later, I saw a passing truck pick her up. I knew then that I was utterly alone. It was in the heart of the great Texas prairies. There wasn't a car on the road after the truck went by. I tried to figure out what to do, how to get hold of myself. If I could find a place to rest, or even if I could sleep right here in the car for a few hours along the side of the road... Getting my winter overcoat out of the back seat to use as a blanket when I saw him coming toward me, emerging from the herd of moving steer. Hello? I was beside myself when I finally reached Gallup, New Mexico this morning. There's an auto camp here. Cold, almost deserted this time of year. I went inside and asked if there was a telephone. I had the feeling that if only I could speak to someone familiar, someone I loved, I could pull myself together. Your call, please. Long distance. Long distance, certainly. This is long distance. I'd like, uh, <laughs> I'd like to put a, in a call to my home in Brooklyn, New York. I'm Ronald Adams. I'm a, the, the number is Beechwood 200828. Certainly. I will try to get it for you. Albuquerque. New York for Gallup. New York. Gallup, New Mexico, calling Beechwood 20828. I read somewhere that love could banish demons the middle of the morning. I knew Mother would be home. I pictured her tall and white-haired in her crisp house dress, going about her tasks. Be enough, I thought, just to hear the even calmness of her voice. Ready with Brooklyn. Go ahead, please. Hello? hello? Mrs. Adams' residence. Hello, hello, Mother. This is Mrs. Adams' residence. Who is it you wish to speak to, please? What? Oh, who is this? This is Mrs. Winnie. Mrs. Winnie? I, I don't know any Mrs. Winnie. Is this Beechwood 208828? Yes. Uh, where, where's my mother? Where's Mrs. Adams? Mrs. Adams is not at home. She's still in the hospital. The hospital? Yes. Who the... is this calling, please? Is it a member of the family? Well, what's she in the hospital for? She's been prostrated for five days. Nervous breakdown. But who is... Nervous breakdown? Well, my grandmother never was nervous. It's all taken place since the death of her oldest son, Ronald. Death of her... Death of her oldest son, Ronald? Hey, what's this? What number is this? This is Beechwood 20828. It's all been very sudden. He was killed just six days ago in an automobile accident on the Brooklyn Bridge. Your three minutes are up, sir.
some serious, serious stuff there. Man, folks, I already said this on another show back in the beginning of season this season, season four. We need more stuff like this going on. And I'm not going to say it much more on this episode today. Just we need more new radio dramas. Just think about it. And uh, we'll get with that in a second. That being said, I haven't really been giving my personal info. Well, not my personal info, but it sort of is. But um, my general info, how to contact me lately, because I've kind of been slammed for time uh, a lot of episodes. So, that being said, I do have different social medias. I'm, I'm, in the, I'm at the point of playing around, so I do have a Facebook. You can look me up on that. Uh, they, they, I do have an aesthetic soundwave site uh, for FB, and I also have one underneath my real name, glasses attached. You'll see it. But if you type in AS, pops right up. I have an Instagram. Don't have much on it, but I do have one. I have a Twitter. I have a Tumblr and uh, a Mixcloud. I just wh- whatever social media you are on, type aesthetic soundwaves and see if that's me. More than likely, I'm on it. So, yeah, you know, hit me up. However, though, and you can shoot me a message, too. That's cool. In fact, if you really want to shoot me a message, um, also, I'm going to give you my email. It's defjuke at yahoo.com. That's all one lowercase word, okay? That's D-E-F-J-U-K at yahoo.com. And for the subject, make sure to put aesthetic sound waves, you know, compliments, complaints, concerns, whatever it might be. And uh, that way I know not to delete it just in case. I always check my emails to make sure that none of that is, uh, you know, getting deleted. So a couple ways to uh, just get in contact with me and whatnot. So I come to the end of the show today. And, you know, I'm just going to tell you, actually, the song, the outro song I'm going out with, which, once again, comes off the same record. But it's this title of the song. I've never heard this song at all, to be honest with you, until I even bought this record. But it's entitled All the Things You Are. And it was performed by the Lana Symphonette. The, the Lonin's, yeah, the Lonin's Symphonette. It was written originally by Oscar Hammerstein II and Jer- Jerome Kern. So, comes off the same trick or treat record. However, this is a cool, really cool song. That's all I'm going to say. I think you folks are going to enjoy it. And you know what, folks? It's not easy right now. I say that every episode, especially right now in time, this time in history. However, Take care of yourselves, please. Take care of your families. And just keep those heads up. You know, just stay strong for each other. Stay strong for yourselves. And let's work together on this. You know, let's, we are all one. And we got this. We're going to get through this. Okay? So, till next episode, this is your man, Glass. Signing out from another show of AS. Next wave.
What up, what up, planet Earth? Uh, I be that man nostalgic, the MC out of Chicago, Illinois, the Windy City. I'm here with my man Glass. It's cold out here. Repping the world famous aesthetic sound waves. Hey. And we are here to let y'all know that from Detroit to Chicago, Chicago to Detroit, we'll be doing some special things. Keep your ears tuned. See y'all. Peace. Look, you got a letter from your sister, Bessie. Oh, Bessie. What does she say? What does she well, say? Anything? She's just wonderful is herself. She? But her Good. son, Willie. Willie? Uh, Willie, that's the one with the high blood pressure. Yeah, that's... The one who sleeps on the floor to keep his blood pressure down. Yeah, yeah that's... <laughs> Smart kid. Yes. Yes. What about Willie? Well, he broke his back. I'm glad to hear that. Huh? He broke his back? How did yes. he do that? Well, on account of he's left-handed. He broke his back because he's left-handed. Yeah. Well, you see, what happened was he had a donut in his right-hand pocket, and when he went to take it out with his left hand, he, he broke his back. Yeah. <laughs> well, you tell Bessie the next time to tell Willie that if he's got a donut in his right-hand pocket, to try to take it out with his right hand. Yeah. But that's hard to do when you have your pants on backwards. <laughs> Hey, hey, welcome, and uh, what up, though, from the D? Uh, you listen to Aesthetic Soundwaves, uh, and I'm here with my man. Glass. And uh, I'm Ha, and uh, some call me DJ Ha, but we're uh, right down here at Dillard's Delights, uh, 242 John R., right in the middle of downtown Detroit. Good donuts, ladies and gentlemen, made down here in the D. Get them, cop them. Yes, sir, that's what we're talking about. So uh, not only will we bring you delicious donuts, we will bring you uh, some wonderful music, some wonderful information, and, uh, you know, historical Detroit stuff, man, uh, right here from uh, Aesthetic Soundwaves. Listen to Ruckus Avenue Radio on Dash Radio.com and download the app today.